Thank you, Brian, my dear friend, that we are on num seminary number two. We're done together now. Praise the Lord. I'm going to con uh, congratulate the seminarians. Um, all seven of you are very, very special to me. And uh, my heart is so full as I look at you and know what has been poured into you and know what's going to come out of you. And uh, I'm excited to be here tonight. It's a pleasure. I feel honored to be at your ceremony, let alone speak at it. And so congratulations. You made it. Job well done. I'm proud of you. Wives, family members, this is a special day. Um, we acknowledge you. Last night we had a banquet, and I did my best to tell you how proud I was of you ladies. These men um, could not be here. Tom and Cheryl got to do it together. Um, but these men would not be here without their wives. And you gave a lot. You gave a lot, and we know that. And we want to thank you. Your children um, sacrificed as dad studied and prepared and learned two languages in four years. It's astounding. And so, family, thank you for your support that you've given them. We look forward to how God is going to use all of your families for the glory of the Lord. I want to speak of our academic dean, Dr. Brian Sheely. He's a major piece that we needed to do this. When I began to search to find where God had Gene and I to come to serve our ministry years out, I looked for a church where we could run, a church that wasn't filled with problems and have to go back and correct so many things. We wanted a church where we could run. And this church was that church. And God directed us here. And we knew that there was a goal by our dear former pastor, Roy Hargraves, to have a seminary. There was funds available even. But I needed a man. <laughs> I needed a man who could help me. I couldn't handle the pulpit and direction and vision and all those things. And so Brian and I began to meet and we prayed over some difficult ministries he was going through at the time. And all the time I was praying for him and encouraging him, hang in there. But honestly, when he was away from me, I said, Lord, give him to us. <laughs> I need him. <laughs> I can't do this without him. And so October, the year 2016, Brian joined the labor force here. And we labored together, and the goal was to start Christ Theological Seminary, which started in August 2017. Brian designed the curriculum, the course schedule. He got teachers together. And oh yeah, he's the executive pastor of this ministry. He worked tirelessly to get us to where we needed to be. And he just completed his doctorate and all on top of that. I couldn't have done this. I couldn't even have dreamed it without Pastor Brian. Pastor Jerry plays a great role. He's our registrar. Uh, there's a lot of details that go in to make sure classes are right, grades are recorded, GPAs are right, uh, funds that go in and out, all of that. We could not have done that without Pastor Jerry. He is a beautiful and very important cog in the wheel of Christ Theological Seminary and Christ Bible College to come. The profs that taught with us, profs from other churches, like-minded churches, came alongside. We look forward to more. Came to teach these students these great truths of God's Word. Their study, their expertise has been used greatly in these graduates' life. Finally, there's more to add, but let me just say thank you to our office staff. 
They're the hidden gems. They're the ones who got papers printed and did so much for us while we were so busy doing other things. They kept us ready for class, and we are so grateful for our office staff that aids us. Well, what would a seminary graduation be without preaching? That's our goal, to raise up people who handle accurately the Word of God and preach and teach and counsel with a Christ-centered direction in everything they do. And so as advertised this morning, I saved the last few verses of this morning's sermon to preach that tonight. These verses are verses that are dear to me. They were, they were verses that were very instrumental in helping me as I went to the ministry, helping me understand my calling and what God was doing in my life. Let me read these five verses and then we'll quickly work our way down through them. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Well, this is a chapter that Paul is summing up a great text of laying aside his liberties for the sake of the gospel. As we've been working through this in our Sunday morning series, we begin to realize that Paul would lay aside anything to see the gospel go forward and the brethren and sisters of the church loved and cared for. And so graduates, I want to remind you some of these things. It takes a single-mindedness, a single-mindedness to glorify Christ, to be a soul winner, to be a minister of the word of God and to be a counselor of those in need of God's truth. First of all, look at verse 23 with me. I think it's up on the screen behind me. Paul said this, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things. You know me, I love circling all, so certainly this one is in here, say, circled. All things. Paul's willing to lay down all things. He has one thought. One thought, how can I win people? How can I point them towards Christ? What can I do? I'll do all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything that it takes to push the glory of Jesus Christ forward. I'll lay it down. I'll give up my rights. I'll I'll give up my liberties. I'll give up my freedoms to see Jesus glorified. Oh, students, that's our goal, isn't it? That's what God's called us to do. Notice he goes on to say, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In other words, my life goals are to glorify Christ and to be a partaker with you. That word partaker is this beautiful word. It it denotes the idea of partnership. See, Paul didn't see himself up above. He saw himself equal with those who came to Christ. And so he desired to have co-sharers of the gospel. A lot of co-sharers in here of the gospel, isn't there? You know I like to make up words, don't you? You know what I mean when I say them. We're sharers in the the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And graduates, this is what we do. We we lay down our lives to share an eternal inheritance 
with our Lord and with those we care for. Paul desired that he wanted to be part of a family made up of Jews and Gentiles, made up of rich and poor, made up of those who were weak and those who were strong, those who were under the law and those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles. He wanted a family of God that he could serve with. And so he laid down everything it took and he denied self in order to accomplish this. Do you have this self-denial, graduates? Are you ready? It's costly to follow Jesus. It's costly to take the helm of a ministry or to lead in ministry or to counsel in ministry. These are costly things. And we are to strive to the end. First Peter says this to remind us, the end is near. Isn't that interesting? The end is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end's near. Be sound. Hang on to this thing. Don't give up. It's going to be hard at times, have you seen? Seminaries prepared you for hard life. Seminary's hard, isn't it? Because ministry's hard at times. Hang on. So seminarians, let me give you some thoughts. You want to be a soul winner? Want to be a pastor? Want to be a counselor? Want to be a partaker with others? As we saw this morning, know and love the gospel. Spurgeon told us, preach it to yourself every day. Preach it to yourself every day. Know and love the gospel. Be unashamed of the gospel. Don't ever forget where God brought you from. You you have this undeserved grace given to you. Oh, that reminder of having what we don't deserve strengthens us in every counseling session, in every sermon prep, in every situation we go to the ministries. Remember that I didn't deserve this. God gifted me with faith and eternal life. Love people. Love them. Sheep bite. They kick. They often don't want to even follow us. Love them. Care for them. Circle around them. Deny yourself for them. Don't forget the work of the Spirit of God. He will empower you for this. He, He didn't bring you through this and not promise to empower you. Look, I know what it feels to be weak and not have persuasive words. But God uses dumb cowboys to do this. (laughs) That's the Spirit of God. Rely on Him. Trust Him. Ask Him to empower your ministries, your counsel, your teaching, your shepherding. He will be there. Let the grace of God and the glory of Christ be your motivator. Otherwise, you'll run out of strength. Well, look at the next verse with me. Verse 24. Paul says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Well, Paul now lets us have his strategy of self-control. So you have to have self-denial. If you don't have self-denial, and lay aside with the goal of winning souls and shepherding the flock and caring for those souls, you're not going to make it. But it also takes self-control. And Paul illustrates this beautiful through these athletic metaphors here. Self-control is is the key. In order to win souls and to fulfill our callings that God has for us, it takes discipline. It's going to take love without limits. It's going to take uh, limiting our liberties and even even our practice of of self-denial. It's going to take that in order to finish this race and the calling of the ministry. You have to be able to practice these things. 
Notice he says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Do you not know that? He says in a question mark. Well, ever since Alexander the Great, the Corinth church would have known this, right? Because he established these games, these Ithmian games in the, in the Olympic games were held right there in Corinth. The Ithmian games would be every other year outside of the Olympics on those opposite years. And they knew that everyone who ran a race would, would there's only one winner, right? Unless you live in our society because you get a participation trophy. But well, that wasn't reality. So he said something they, un- they knew they would understood. They knew that it took training. It took a hu- to, to be in this high-level athletic competition. The athletes in this day for these games, they had to prove that they trained for one year. And they were put on public display 30 days before the event to show that they were ready. They were highly scrutinized to make sure that they were the best athletes that could be offered. The winner of the games would receive a wreath of celery. They switched it to pine needles after a while. It lasted about a week. They also received a hundred drachmas, and they were considered immortal. Americans know that. This is what we do with our athletes. We immortalize them and worship them. But here in the first century, as Paul uses his analogy, these runners ran to win. They ran to win. Now, Paul knows he's not talking about our personal victories here. We run for who? We run for Christ, don't we? And we know that there's a winner there because of what Christ has done. So Paul says there in verse 24 again, he says, run in such a way that you may win. Don't go at this half-hearted. Anybody who goes into the ministry half-hearted, they're going to quit. It's too hard. Go in it full bore. Run the race to win souls, to minister to God's people. Run to, to win, not lose. That's what he calls us to do. The early Greek contest just had one winner. But the Christian life, the Christian life, God has made fit many of us. To run this race and to win. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the, of the saints and the light. That word qualified is a great word. It means he made us fit. See, you don't, you don't live a life and try to gain your righteousness to be accepted by God. God made you fit. That goes for all believers. And brothers and sister, he's made you fit. For the ministry. He's trained you, prepared you, given you examples. And he wants you to run to win, run to win this race. In Corinth Church, they had so become overly concerned with their own personal rights. They had factions among them, they were fighting between one another, and they were losing the race. The book of, Corinth, book of Corinthians is about how they were losing, and God sent Paul to turn that around. Their testimonies were marred because they cared little for the weaker brother or for those who were struggling. God had given them a great prize of salvation, and yet they were not winning people. They were not glorifying Christ. Paul's desire for us is that we would run well, that all Christians, especially you graduates tonight as we focus on this, would run to win people to Christ, to show His glory and fulfill His great commission. Look at verse 25. 
Everyone who competes in the games exercises a self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Notice that everyone who desires to run in such a way, they must exercise self-control. You can see that right in the text. You must build a training schedule. You must stick to it. I think that's one of the things seminary does, right? That paper's due. And if you don't do all the legwork, all the research and the study and the reading and praying, and then you try to cram that thing through, well, we know it. (laughs) We can read those papers and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. That's part of that race, isn't it? Same is true for all Christians. We prepare, we train, we die to self, we exercise the fruit of the Spirit and self-control so we're ready to participate in this great event called the Christian life. Because there's a prize. Even when the world thinks about self-control, you know, those who uh, in the world even have success, it's those who had self-control, right? They said no to certain things and they, they often end up with a better job. But how great is that, that we have the Spirit of God. He promises to give us the fruit, and we can exercise self-control so we can be available for the cause of Jesus Christ. Graduates, you'll have to exercise this all the time. Something is always pulling on you. There's always some problem. There's always a family issue. There's something pulling on you, and yet Sunday's coming like a wave. (laughs) That next Bible school lesson, that next counseling meaning they're coming and we exercise self-control because God's called us into this race and we're ready to serve him this metaphor teaches us that that God wants us to train and if you're here today these men and women Cheryl have trained they've trained hard for four years and that's why Paul uses this wonderful this metaphor, and if you know a a professional athlete, if you've ever been around them, they pay a high price to do what they do. They eat different, they sleep different, they train, they discipline, they make different decisions, they sacrifice, all to win. And that's what we often do. Your children will sacrifice with you, your wife will sacrifice with you. Bring them along in that journey. Love them and care for them. Some of us may look back at the time as we look at this that we spit in athletic endeavors and, and wonder why we put so much effort in that. But God calls us to work hard. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercies has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here's what he says. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled and won't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. Ah, the Corinth athletes, they ran for this wreath that was gone in a week. We got an inheritance that God keeps himself. Isn't that powerful? All Christians have that. Pastors and church leaders carry a baton to run that race and to hand it off to the next person, to buffet their body in a sense, to train themselves to be self-controlled, to cut out things that get in the way, to discipline themselves to run this race for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's any Christian, but particularly those in ministry. Look at verse 26 with me. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. 
Therefore, I run in such a way. Isn't it interesting? Paul knows the goal. He knows the rules of the game, and he knows how to accomplish what God has sent him to do. There's rules to game, isn't there? The game wouldn't be very good if you hit a base hit and you ran to third. (laughs) It's just not going to work. God laid down the rules for us in a sense, right? Study. Be diligent to rightly divide the word of God. Shepherd the flock. I mean, he gives us these great commands to help us know how to execute this great ministry of the care of his gospel and his children. And so a Christian without biblical goals and directions, this is one of the things we see in in modern Christianity is, is they've lost their understanding of biblical goals and directions. But God has given this. This is a divine calling to be in the ministry. And Paul is saying, look, I know what I want to do. And I know the people I want to win. They're Jews and they're Gentiles and those under the law and those without the law and the weak and the confused. This is my goal to glorify Christ and win them and lay aside anything I can do to win them. That was his goal. Notice he says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. You might say, wait, what? Weren't we running a race? What's going on now? Paul's mixing his metaphors, isn't he here? Well, what does this mean? Well, the simple answer is, is while you're running this Christian race, while you're in this battle for ministry, as we learn to, to, to run in such a way where you win, you have an opponent. And that opponent doesn't fight fair sometimes. And that opponent's trying to punch you and knock you down and take you out of that race. And Paul says, so I, when I punch, I just don't punch at the air. In other words, you must make your punches land, knock out your opponent before he knocks you out. I think this would be a fun sport. Full contact marathon. I think it'll sell. You say, well, who's my opponent? Who's my opponent? Look at verse 27. You want to know who your, your opponent is? But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Guess who your opponent? Your opponent is, it's your own flesh. (laughs) Ministry's hard. People will come against you. There's difficulties in ministry. Um, Sometimes your churches go through split. All kinds of hard things happen. But one of the most challenging opponents is our own flesh, our own hearts. And Paul says, I got to knock it out before it knocks me out. I need to give credit to that. And so the opponent is my body, my flesh, my mind, and I have to bring it into submission, Paul says. And so the grace of God, I have made my flesh to be enslaved for the cause of Christ. Disciplined men in the ministry are able to say, oh God, my flesh is hungry to control me. I do not want that to happen. I want to subdue that. I want to bring it into subjection. And so that I can best serve you, God. The opponent will try to enslave you. But you must find it. Most people in the world are controlled by their flesh. Isn't that true? The flesh tells them what to do. It grabs them and says, this is what we're going to do. And whatever's most popular and whatever makes them feel good. And however they want to interpret their lives, that's what they do. Because most people are controlled by it. Their heart is the center of their body and their mind and it steers them. But the Bible tells us that the heart is sick and desperately wicked. 
But the gospel tells us that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, God took our hearts of stone and gave us a heart of flesh so we can love, cherish, and obey him for his glory. And men, you're going to have to fight for that because it's going to push on you because we get hurt and we go through difficult times. Colossians says that we are to consider our body, our flesh, as dead. And we're to put on heart of compassion, kindness, and humility, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven us. So men, what's fueling you? Cheryl, what's fueling you? Is it the gospel? Is it the glory of Christ? See, that's how we're going to finish. That's how we finish well. That's how we go all the way through the tape. When we're fueled by the right truth. Just like an athlete eats a chocolate sundae before he runs, probably not a good idea. He can do it. It's up to him. But he's not going to finish well. Hey, fuel ourselves on the best fuel we can ever have, the glory of God seen through his inerrant word. And preach that, and you will finish well. Notice the last part of this verse. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. When these Olympians of these games began, someone would come out and they would blow a trumpet and proclaim the beginning of the events, and they would name the contestants, and then they would give the rules So everyone in the crowd and all the contestants knew what the rules were. At the end of the event, if someone violated the rules, they were disqualified and the wreath was given to someone else. That was the rules. That's how it worked. So listen, Paul's saying, I never want this to happen to me. Not because he's embarrassed, not for personal accolades, because he loves Jesus. And so he does not want this to happen. And he wants to do things God's way. He wants to run in such a way that pleases God. He'll never be disqualified. And he'll be used for the glory of God. He'll win souls. And he'll care for God's flock. So Paul knows that if his heart is not captured by Christ, his flesh and mind will not come into submission. And he will, though he will preach the truth, he himself will be disqualified. And he does not want that. In other words, he does not want to be unused by the master. He wants the master to reach for him and use him for the glory of God. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, many people have started out this race. Many graduates have walked down aisles of seminaries, but many have been disqualified. They failed to keep their eye on the prize, the glory of Jesus Christ. And I plead with you, and I'm here for you, run. Run to win for Jesus. Don't run for any other reason. Run for the glory of Christ and you'll love the flock and you'll love your family and you'll, you'll do the ministry and you'll rightly divide if you run for Jesus. Run. Run for his glory. Father in heaven, it is such a privilege to speak directly to these six men and Cheryl. We thank you that you have raised up Preachers and elders and Bible teachers and counselors here. These are people who have committed the last four years of their life to strict and in-depth study of the Word of God so they can glorify your Son. I pray a blessing upon them. I pray you would bless them. And you would cause them to know that you shine upon them and you love them. And in the most difficult times, in the most difficult trials of ministry, they will be reminded that Jesus and his glory and his all-sufficient word is worth the race. 
And Lord, sometimes we crawl a little bloodied and beaten up, but God causes us to get up and run. And I pray protection upon these that are graduating. Protection upon them, their family, their children, their ministries. Lord, give them, give them a heart for the gospel and give them endurance to run for your glory. I pray these, all, these things all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master, our King, and our Lord. And in his name we say, amen.